come together on this last day of 2006. Times like this cause us to reflect back over the year that just is finishing. About 12 hours left. If you had a pledge for 2006, you've got undone, you're running out of time. Or either you'll have to write it on the list with thousands of others for 2007. Thousands of other people will make a list of resolutions, things they commit to do. The sad truth is that most of those things will go undone. Isn't that true? I mean, most of the time, we write those lists down with full intentions, good intentions of doing them, and they just don't get done. But there's some things in this next year that need to be done. And there's many things that can distract us. There's a lot of things we can give our lives to in this world. I was uh, last night, got home from Chattanooga and was relaxing a little and uh, Granny staying with us. And so we turned it over to uh, the old reruns of the Billy Graham crusade. And last night was a, was a treat. He was a young man. I hadn't seen th- this one in particular. Uh, in particular, it was a black and white film from 1962. And a young, young Billy Graham uh, was preaching. And what he was preaching on is the many, the thousands of causes in 1962 that you could give your life to. And how that all of them would leave you empty. He talked about the fact that the church had turned over its ministry to the world in 1962. The government was being looked to now to accomplish the great causes of humanitarian need, poverty, uh, clothing those who need clothes, feeding those who need food, helping those who need help. He said that even the great Christian cause of medical help, you know, the first hospitals were started by Christians, have been institutionalized into the government now and that no individual was stepping forward. No churches were stepping forward in 1962 to carry the banner of Christ in these issues with the gospel in the forefront. No, it's no different today. Has it changed? It's 2006. Has it really anything gotten any better? No. I could argue that he didn't see what was coming. If he thought it was bad in 1962, he ought to have been able to look ahead to 2006. And now he's probably even sadder today, I thought last night. An old man now, white in hair. Uh, somebody told me one time, I think it was Aaron Acker, said if Charlton Heston in Moses, it's got to be Billy Graham. You know, with, he just looks like Moses now. He's got that long hair, that white hair, it flows still, and he walks there with commanding presence, even though he can barely uh, walk from uh, his Parkinson's, the other problems he's having. But here this great man of God is in 62, talking about how the world is... Is, is growing increasingly worse and how we need to prepare for the return of Christ. What should we say at the end of 2006? There are a lot of social causes we involve ourselves in. They're not bad things. But things like uh, the eradication of, of, of AIDS in the world. Now, this isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's been headed up. You, you may have seen the red clothing apparel now that that uh, is going around, and the music groups that have joined in to raise funds to make the African continent, in particular, aware of the dangers of unprotected sex and the cause that that brings in AIDS and the deaths that are coming. 
I have a friend that spent a month this past year in October in uh, South Africa in in an in a orphanage ministering to children. Thousands and thousands of orphan children whose parents died of AIDS this past year and the years before. And many of them infected with the same virus and dying from just a lack of education. This is a good cause. The government of the United States has dedicated billions of dollars in this year's budget to the African continent to assist them in preparing themselves for the epidemic of the AIDS virus. This is a good cause. The United Nations has joined itself with Angelina Jolie and others to talk about poverty in the world and the sex trade of young women from especially the Asian continent where women, young girls, not women, girls, 8, 9, 10 years old are being sold as slaves to men mainly in the United States of America, believe it or not. One of the main places they're being sold is to the United States, to men in this nation. And what is the church doing about this? The church is not picking up the banner. The church is turning its eye to these things, away from these things, thinking that if we don't look at it, it doesn't exist. We live in a lap of luxury. You know I'm one of the top 2%. I'm paid in one of the top 2% of the world's population. Yet in this country, I barely meet minimum standards. My children actually could gain assistance from the state of Alabama in health care <laughs> because I'm not paid uh, according to their standards. I'm not paid well. I'm paid in the top 2% of the world's population. And what is the church doing about poverty around the world? Is the church feeding the world? Is the church clothing the world? Is the church taking the gospel to the world through the humanitarian needs that exist? Two years have passed since the tsunami hit Asia. Thousands of people live in less than boxes on the sides of roads because they lost it all. And we turn our eyes from it. Why? Because we're afraid to see the destruction that lives around us. Katrina, now over a year has gone by. Still, around, far less than their normal population live there in New Orleans. And people are still homeless. And yet, we turn our eyes. These are the problems. These are the causes that a person could give their life to. And that's not to mention over 100,000 soldiers in a country in the Middle East fighting for freedom and dying on a daily basis. And these are not contrary to popular belief and an ex-presidential candidate. These are not the dumbest among us. These are not the no-goods who couldn't do anything else with their lives. These are young men of vision and young women of vision who have a cause that they're giving their life to, who believe in the freedom that can only come when the, when the tyrannous government is brought down and democracy is set up. But I ask you, where are the boots on the ground for the Christian cause behind the soldiers? Soldiers can fight with weapons of this world, but they cannot set the people free. 
The only thing that will set the people free, ultimately, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we shouldn't oppose the war in Iraq. And I could spend all day talking to you about why we should not oppose the war. Why we should be, first and foremost as a Christian church, championing the cause and asking it to be done right. But we shouldn't settle and we shouldn't be happy with boots on the ground and guns in the hand. We should be happy with boots on the ground and the Bible in the hand right behind those soldiers. Offering freedom for eternity through Jesus Christ. But what is the church doing about this cause? Do you expect the UN? Do we expect the UN? Do we expect the, the Catholic Church to carry the banner? Do, do we expect just some social organization to arise for this great cause? Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul says, But I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And what was that course, Paul? What were you called to do? To testify of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I come to you today a message based on a cause to give your life to. In 2007, I'm asking this church, give your life to the gospel. And you say, those things are far away from us. Katrina is, you know, two or three hundred miles, the devastations, two or three hundred miles from us. The, the, the Asian tsunami disaster, thousands of miles across the globe. Those things are too big and too far away. The war in Iraq is, a, you know, Hundreds and thousands of miles are, have to be covered to do anything about this cause. I can't go. I can't do anything. Well, I'll give you some statewide problems that we face. Some causes that I believe the church must involve itself in. Do you realize that in Alabama, in 2004, that's the latest statistics that have been compiled, 10 to 19-year-old girls gave birth to 11,995 children in a year. 10 to 14-year-olds that reported giving birth at a hospital, almost 500 in the state of Alabama. Those are the ones that carried, I mean, you know, do you realize the probability of carrying a child at 10 years old full term and delivering? That's, that's not very high. There are, for every one that delivers, there has to be many more who die in the womb of that 10-year-old. What is the church going to do about this problem? This is at our back door. Abortions in the state of Alabama. Yeah, there are abortions in this state. In 2004, 10,144 children's lives were snuffed out before they drew a breath outside of their mother's womb. And who's carrying that banner? And who's taking the gospel there? And who will preach life in the face of death? It's easy. It's convenient to forget these things. It's our nature to not see these things. We don't want to open our eyes. And see it. And yet, 
The only hope for this world is not a church that sits back and says, oh, it's bad. Oh, it's bad. I hope Jesus comes tomorrow. That's not going to do anybody any good. The only hope is a church that has a cause they're willing to give their life for. And that cause is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope this world has. When I look at the church, when I listen to the talking heads on TV who preach it, ad nauseum about the world's problems. I think in my mind, no wonder the world doesn't come to the church. We've got to be the most pessimistic, negative, in-the-box thinkers in the world. We really are. Think about it. Where are the champions of the cause? Where are the ones who will stand and say proudly, I serve Jesus Christ. I bring the gospel and the good news of freedom and hope and prosperity through the gospel in eternity. And you may suffer in this life, but I bring you hope for tomorrow. And I also bring you help for your needs today. Where is that in our church? In our church, not just the church at large, but in our church. While we were in Chattanooga, Amy and I had time to kind of look back over our situation and talk about our children. And Friday night, we went to the movies. Um, we, watched, we went to, y'all probably may have seen this movie, I don't know. But we went to the 250 theater, so, you know, they're all behind, you know. Uh, we didn't want to pay 15 bucks to watch a movie, so. And we went and watched The Guardian. It's a story based around, you know, the life of a Coast Guard rescue swimmer. I recommend it to you. It's a great movie for adults to watch and, and see what these men give their lives to. Their motto, I propose, should be our motto. Or maybe we should write it over the door as you live. Their motto is, so others might live. We jump out of helicopters in the middle of a hurricane and the answer from the class is so others might live. We go on listing ships that are sinking with crew members so others might live. We swim in hypothermic water so others might live. They're giving their lives to a cause and it's a great cause but it's not the greatest cause. What I'm asking this church to do and asking you to go and tell your Christian friends in the world to do is to rally around the cause of the gospel so others might live. That's what we're going for. When you leave these doors today, you're not going back into the world to try to make it a little better place so we all get along a little better. You're going out into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ so others might live, not just for another year or another couple of years or 50 years, but so they might live for eternity. So others might live. Can we go to Africa and preach the gospel? So others might live. Can we go to Iraq and bring the gospel of peace? So others might live. Will the church, this church, rise up and give the people of Iran an opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel and believe? So others might live. Will you go to the ends of the earth 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ, calling them to salvation so others might live. Or are you only concerned? You'll never, you know, I've thought about it. You would never, I would never think of jumping out of a helicopter in the frigid water if my goal wasn't that every person I went after would be saved. And you know what the truth is? You won't share the gospel with Jesus Christ until you believe that they'll be saved. Until you believe this gospel we preach is powerful to change lives. Until you believe it is the only answer for the world. Until you see it as the only solution to the sin problem that has infected man since the fall of Adam, you will not open your mouth and preach the gospel. But when you believe it is, when you believe it is the only hope, it's the only cure, it's the only fail-safe, it's the only way that a man can have eternal life, you'll preach it. And they can't stop you from preaching it. You'll be as the prophet Jeremiah. There is a message burning in my bones. I can't help but preach. You think he wanted to preach in his situation? See, Ethan and I were talking about it. You think he wanted to go out every day and get laughed at and get mocked and get ridiculed and persecuted and, and, and lose his life and possibly die and his family? Do you think that's what he wanted to do? No. Humanly speaking, no. He didn't want to do it. But he had a burning. He could not quench except that he go. Why did he go? To declare the gospel. Why did he declare the gospel? Simple. So others might live. So others might live. He wasn't content with his and mine and, and, and my family and being saved. He wasn't content with that. It wasn't enough. He wanted the Assyrians to believe. He wanted the Babylonians to believe. He wanted everyone to believe and live. And Paul had this same vision. And I'm asking you, will you have the same vision? We have another cause that we better wake up and grasp hold of and see that it's destroying our communities. In 1987, the United States found itself in the middle of the biggest drug crisis ever recorded in the Western world. And the government set out to solve the problem. And they did well early on in their initiative against drugs. They did a good job. And the numbers decreased drastically until 1999. In 1999, the pendulum swing. People began to ignore the advertisements, the education they got in school, and they began to return to drug use at a very scary rate. In 2005, the latest statistics we have in Calhoun County, is that 40 out of every 1,000 teenager will at least try drugs before they turn 18. 40 out of every 1,000. Cocaine, alcohol, other forms of methamphetamines are on the rise. They're not on the fall. They're on the rise in this county. And what does the church do but wring its hands, talk about how bad it is, talk about doom and gloom, say, oh, Jesus, hurry and come home, take us home. Where are the soldiers of the gospel? Ask Paul, who would go to them and say, 
I'm coming to you, not because it's fun, not because I enjoy the looks and the comments and the ridicule I receive from you. I'm coming to you because I believe you have only one hope, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I must share it with you. Our text is clear. I want to make four quick points from it. First, I want you to notice the immense reality of God. You'll never faithfully share the gospel until you realize how immense our God is. The verse says to testify at the end to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, a cause is only as big as the purpose or the person behind it. It's not a great cause unless there's a great purpose or a great person. And the great person behind the cause of the gospel, which I'm asking you to give your life to, is God. It's God. And the purpose is so that you might be in His image and so that you might be like Him. And so that others might be like Him. Until God is the central focus of our lives and everything else rotates around it, we will not give ourselves to the purpose, the calling of the gospel. We won't do it. We'll find other things to distract us, other good causes to occupy us. Second, notice the immense reality of God's grace. The verse ends by saying to testify to the gospel of the grace of God or the Lord Jesus. The power of God is found in His holiness and His justice. It's like a hurricane. You know, a hurricane is full of bands of fury, isn't it? They just come one after the other. Seemingly endless waves and wind and surge of the tide. Until you do what? You get to the middle. To what they call the eye of the storm. I've never experienced that. I have family members who have, and they say, and some of you might have, they say that literally seconds pass. It's like there's all this fury and rage, and all of a sudden, boom, just dead as a, dead as a flare. No wind. Even, uh, I even had, had uh, pictures during Katrina of the sun breaking out. There's this huge fury they just went through. And all of a sudden, bam, like a bolt of lightning, there's the sun beaming through. They're in the eye of the storm. God's like that. Think about it. His justice, His wrath, His holiness, all those things are a fury to us. We're sinners. They consume us. Our God's a consuming fire. And it's raging and raging and beating. And all of a sudden, the eye of the storm comes. The grace of God. The love of God. Some of you are in the middle of the storm. You're, you're, you're in the middle of the rage and the fury. And you feel God, as Martin Luther said, beating you into submission. You don't see hope. You only see I'm a sinner and He's perfect. I have no righteousness and He has all righteousness. I have no power. He has all power. You're hopeless. And you're, I'm praying that today and in the days to come and maybe before you leave this place, the eye of the storm will hit. Grace. You'll feel the grace of God. We serve an immense God who has immense grace on us. Third, you need to notice from the text that it is a great reality. The gospel is not only some figment of our imagination, it's a great reality. God is a great reality. 
grace is breathtaking and glorious, and yet the gospel, the good news, is immense. When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time? A day? Two days? A week? A month? A year? I don't remember when. Never. Listen, I'm not the greatest evangelist in the world. I have opportunities come and go and I miss them. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to call you to the reality we serve a God that is great. And His grace is magnificent. And the message of the gospel is powerful. Immensely powerful. And you don't have to supply the power. It's powerful. Romans 1, 16 and 17 tell us it is the power to salvation to everyone who believes. You are not the power. I am not the power. The church is not the power. The message, the gospel is the power. You don't have to supply anything to it. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be gifted. That's a great misunderstanding, I think, probably among you. You say, well, I'm not gifted to share the gospel. Other people do that. No. No. There are people who are specifically gifted and great evangelists. But the Great Commission is for Christians. For you and for me. And all I'm asking is, if Chuck Wood received an order from a superior in the army, he did it. I said, it's just that simple. If he didn't, he wasn't being obedient to that order. Christ gave us a, not, not a suggestion, a commission. You know, officers are commissioned. Right? In the army, officers are commissioned. You know what the truth is? You're all officers in God's army. He commissioned you to it. And your commission is to share the gospel with the nations, with all people groups. And He is with you. Unlike a physical army where the commander-in-chief gives a commission and men go off and he's not there to help them, our commander-in-chief is with us. When you're in the cafe and you're going to open your mouth and share with the individual across the table, God's not at headquarters. God's with you when you open your mouth. When you're with your coworker, wherever he or she is, and you open your mouth to share, it's not like God saying, boy, I hope he gets it right. He's there. And you know what? The awesome promise of the word is, through prayer and supplication, I can ask God and the Holy Spirit will give me the words to say. And it's a great joy, by the way. It's happened to me on several occasions where I didn't know how I was going to get to this person. They seemed unreachable. And I opened my mouth and started to share the gospel, and all of a sudden ideas like a fury flying to my mind and they formulate themselves and I've just made this presentation that I didn't plan, didn't ask for, didn't think about. It just came out. And I walk away thinking, we serve a real God who keeps His promises and does what He says. Maybe you don't believe we serve a real God. 
Maybe the reason is, is you've never tried him. No, you've said all the right things, the prayers, and come to church, sing the songs, do all that, but you've never employed his power in any situation in your life. So you don't know if he's a promise keeper. I can tell you that, but you don't know it. You don't know if he's with you always because you've never been a part of the commission. I'm asking you. I'm calling you. I'm calling this church. I'm begging and pleading with you. Give your life to a cause. And the cause I'm asking you to give it to is the gospel. And the way you give your life to the gospel is you follow the commission. Paul said, I testified. Not that I lived as a testimony among you. I testify. Later in the text, as we read this morning, he made this bold statement. There is no blood on my hands when it comes to you. I've shared everything with you. I've declared it in church and house to house with everybody. Don't hold me guilty if you don't believe. That's not my fault. I did my part. I did what I was called to do. And what I'm saying is that Grace Fellowship, why not that be our statement for 2007? No, Lord, we're not perfect. No, Lord, we do fail. Yes, we are we're in need of your grace as much as the worst of sinners, but we are guiltless when it comes to the blood of every man because we share the truth of God with them in church and house to house and at our workplace and at the coffee shop and wherever else you might find to share the gospel. We not only serve an immense God and in a magnificent he has magnificent grace and the gospel is all powerful, but fourth in our text we see that he lived for this cause. Paul lived for the cause. I count my life as nothing, as worthless, as no value. Listen, all the things I shared before about the problems in the world, you want some solutions to those problems? Well, I think that if we could help the world see, help ourselves see that first... We need to be utterly indifferent to the world and its pleasures. We need to be indifferent to the world and its pleasures. It needs to matter not what the world says and the pleasures they offer for a season. Paul found his high in the gospel and in Christ. More than sex, more than drugs, more than prestige, more than wealth, Paul counted his life worthless He was straining for the cause, and the cause was the gospel. You want to give up up on sin and get out of temptation? Consume yourself with the gospel. All of a sudden, the little fleeting pleasures of this world, they become meaningless. They're toy, they're children's play. You, You find yourself not even desiring it. Why would I lower my standards to get a high off of this worldly pleasure that when it leaves me is not going to make me any better than what I was before I did it. Why would I want that? I have the gospel, which never fails, and which is all satisfying. Paul's creator had given him a cause and freed him with reckless abandon toward danger. What if every 18-year-old girl in Calhoun County had the gospel as her aim? No boy could connive his way into her life. Nobody. What if every young man, 16 years old in Calhoun County, made the gospel his cause? Popularity, wealth, drugs, premarital sex, none of that would matter to him. 
If the gospel was his aim, all he would care about was Jesus Christ. Those who are lost around him. You say, well, it's just not practical. It's just not how our world is. They're not going to accept it. They're not going to believe. Well, I actually see a lot of hope for this generation. It's my generation I worry about. See, we had no great world cause. When I was growing up, we we lived in relative peace in the world scene. And we were lazy and could care less about the rest of the world. The reason some of the underdeveloped countries are where they are today is because my generation didn't care. You couldn't get Peace Corps volunteers. You couldn't get anybody to go do anything. They didn't care. It's not so with 18-year-olds today. 18-year-olds today are looking for a cause. They're looking for it. They're tired of this wasteful life their parents have given them. They don't want it. They're not amused by it anymore. They're desynthesized to the thrill. It doesn't matter. That's why enrollment in the armed forces is where it is. I don't believe the liberal bias in the media. Young men and women are proud to join the cause of a war. Now, if they'll join that cause, which is a great cause, as I said earlier, why would they not join the cause of the eternal conflict between God and his enemies? They will. And they'll give themselves totally to it. And they'll die for the cause. They'll think nothing of dying for the cause. And I want to give you some proof of that. Listen to this. A missionary in the indigenous area of South America walked from tribe to tribe. This is in 1992. From tribe to tribe to share the gospel. No one would listen to him. He did this for months. Not days. Months. He finally, at the point of exhaustion, sat down under a tree outside of a village, took his shoes off. And fell asleep. He was just going to rest for a little while. But unbeknownst to him, he slept for hours. And the tribe came out to where he was. They wouldn't listen to him when he was preaching, but they came out to where he was. When he woke up, he said it was almost like I had died and gone to heaven. These big, strong warriors in this tribe were knelt down crying and weeping. He asked what was going on. They said, when we saw the blisters on your feet, we knew what you said was true. We want to serve your God. We serve a great God who has great grace, who has a great message, the gospel. And he's commissioned you to suffer, to give up life, happiness, and everything else for him. And I'm asking you to join the cause. That's not the only story. A boy named Joseph, young boy in a tribe in Africa, a Maasai warrior, was walking down the road one day and met this white missionary. Never seen a white man before. The white man began to conversed with him and shared the gospel and he immediately was converted and his first thought was I need to take this back to my people so he left and went down the path and returned to his village 
Joseph came into the village as he always had and began to preach the gospel. Before he could even get the message out, the village fell on him, the women held him down to the ground, and the men of the village beat him with barbed wire. He lost consciousness from loss of blood. They took him out, threw him out of the village to die. A few hours of in and out of consciousness, he wakes up, blood-soaked. He thought, what did I do wrong? Well, I know what I, I must not have said it the right way. They just misunderstood. So he drug himself to his feet, walked back into the village. When he got into the village, the people began to gather, and he began to preach the gospel. The women grabbed him and held him down and beat him. They beat him with barbed wire. He lost consciousness. They threw him out. Six hours passed. He woke up. He drug himself to a sitting position, found some cool water, wet his lips, and he said through tears and a prayer to God, God, they must believe. And he got up and returned to his village. And as they beat him for the third time that day with barbed wire, he screamed out the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last thing he remembered was the women who were holding him crying. Two days later, he woke up wrapped in bandages, covered in salve, and the chief of the village sitting next to him. And he said, Joseph said he couldn't believe he had lived. He said, Chief, why am I here? And the women in the back of the room crying said, when you return the third time and in the midst of us beating you, you cried out the gospel. We knew it was true. And we believe. And the whole village was converted. We have a great God who has a great grace, who has a great cause. And I'm asking you and I'm begging you and I'm pleading you with you, give your life to it. Give your life to it. You know, in Haiti, just a few years back, a young man named Edmund heard a Thanksgiving message out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Luke 21 verse 4. Edmund heard the message and returned later that night to the church with the rest of the congregation with $13 in an envelope. That's a year's worth of pay for him. He gave it. He didn't come to church for months. And the preacher saw him out in the village one day and asked him, why did you give the $13? And he said, because I sold my ox. It's all I had, and I gave it to God. Because you said that God would use it for the gospel. Why have you not been back to church, Edmund? He said, because I have no shirt to come. And I can't come to public worship without my shirt. A man that's willing to give his ox and his life when he doesn't even have a shirt to wear to church. I'm calling you to that kind of cause to that kind of conviction, to that kind of belief.
You say, I'm too old. I can't do it. I've passed that age. No hope for me. Well, don't be too quick. Charles Simeon, in his 60th year of life in 1807, left for the mission ground. He had been sick for years, unable to continue his work, and so he decided to go to be a missionary. And when he left, his strength returned and he served God faithfully for years on the mission field. One man, John G. Patton, had a plan to reach the South Sea Islands in the Pacific. This older man in the congregation stood up at the end of his address and said, you'll be beaten You'll be beaten and eaten by cannibals. Listen to this reply. Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. There to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring Jesus Christ, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection body, I will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. Patton was an old man himself. David Livingston, Jim Elliott, thousands, millions have died for this great cause. So, the new motto of Grace Fellowship, so others might live, you take the gospel. Not the pastor, not the elders, not the deacons. You take the gospel. Secondly, I'm asking you to live by the motto of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, the Aka Five, the famous uh, missionaries who went and died giving their life away to a group of people who they never reached in their life, but they reached in their death because their wives returned with their children and lived among the natives. This was his, upon graduation from college, this is his motto he had determined to live by. Wherever you are, be all there. Live every day to the hilt, knowing that it is the will of God. Wherever you are, be all there. Live it to the hilt as it's the will of God. We have that bad problem, don't we? Wherever we are, we're not all there. Pastors spend their lives building a career like businessmen. They're at this church to get to that church, to get to this one, to get to that one, and to get on to the bigger and better and more money. And, and you're, you may be doing the same thing in your walk of life trying to promote, trying to get somewhere. Kids are guilty of it at Christmas, right? And we are too. We we rush around praying the days away till we get to Christmas so we can give our kids gifts. and And in 15 minutes, it's all over. We're not all there. We can't enjoy every minute. Because we're too busy trying to get to the next minute, to the next minute, to the next minute. Wherever you are this year, commit. I'm going to be all there. I'm not worried about tomorrow, the next day, a week, and two weeks. I may not live that long. 
I'm going to live here in the moment where I am. And when that lost person walks in, so others might live, I'm going to share the gospel. And I'm going to do it to the hilt, to the very end of my abilities. Why? Because it's the will of God. He's given me this day. If we could rise every morning, God, you've given me this day so that others might live. And I'm going to live it to my very best through your grace. Where will, where will Calhoun County be? If each of us makes that commitment, where will Calhoun County be in a year? It'll be a different place. Your neighborhood will be a different place. My neighborhood will be a different place. Your workplace will be a different place. Your home will be a different place. This church will be different. Spend your life well. Run the race. Receive the prize. I told the guys at Christmas conference yesterday, talking to them about leadership, what it means to be a man. And I told them, we have no guts in this generation. And when we get to heaven, we'll have no glory. And you say, well, we're not supposed to be about all that anyway. Well, I don't know about you, but when you read Apostle Paul, he had a concern about his prize. He talked about it repeatedly. He talks about it in this passage. He talks about it in Philippians twice. He's always bringing up his prize. Why? Because he don't want to be the guy at the end of the line with nothing to give to his Savior. <laughs> he wants the biggest stack of rewards to throw back at Christ. You can't do it by accident. You must plan for it. How do I plan for it? Live every day to the very best in the grace of God so others might live. That's how you do it. That's how I'll do it. That's how this church will do it. Or we won't. We'll fail in our commission. So, it's unconventional as it may sound, I'm going to end the message. No announcements, none of that. We'll just be back the same place next time. I want to end by calling you to make the commitment to the cause. Everybody. It doesn't matter if you're five, six, seven, you love the Lord, make the commitment. If you're 80, make the commitment. And let's see what God can do with a band of soldiers who will give their life away so others might live. Let's see what he'll do. Let's see what he'll do. Hey, I, you know, I, I was uh, sitting in the movie theater. I'm not often real enthused by movies. Uh, obviously, I was by this one. The whole movie sets around this older guy, Kevin Costner, who's training this young group of class people. Ashton Kutcher's in there. I don't like him, by the way, but he did a great job in this movie. You know what we need? We need a church full of people with the attitude about Christ that this young man had about the Coast Guard. His commandant standing up there and he's saying, when hurricanes come and ground the Navy, we go out. You know, he's charging them up, you know. He's just told them 50% of y'all going to go home before tomorrow. So you're not going to be a part of this. But it's a great operation if you can be a part of it. When grounds the Navy, we go out. When, when, you know, when he goes to, when ports shut down, we go out. When the Lord God Almighty blows 
houses off of foundations. We go out so others might live. Any questions? This young guy stands to attention, Ashton Kutcher. He stands up there. His name's Fisher. Fisher, he says, sir, I have one request. He says, what is that? He turns and looks at the record wall. Kevin Costner had set every record for the, for the Coast Guard swim. He looks at the wall, and he says, I want you to call that guy, Randall, and tell him I'm going to own every record that he has. We need that in the church. Not for the sake of records. That's what the young guy learned. You don't do it for the sake of records. We need somebody that says, you know what I want you to do, preacher? I want you to think, I'm going to give my life to the cause, to the point that I'll surpass everything and everybody. That's what we need. Of course, the return was the commandant told him, my son, instead of me calling him, why don't you turn around and tell him yourself? He's in the back of the room. <laughs> and there was this great moment where their eye, like, his eyes were like this big. You know? <laughs> but we don't have anybody in the church like that. I, I, I haven't seen anybody. I'm going to include myself in that. That would rise and say, Lord Jesus, tell Paul, I'm giving my life away. And when we get to heaven, we'll see who has the prizes. Because I'm living for others. And I'm living for Christ. We don't have anybody with that kind of guts. And we're not going to have anybody with any glory from this generation much either. Be one of the few. Be one of the few. Let's pray. Father, a cause to live for is not humanitarian aid, cure of AIDS, technological developments, a war <coughs> in Iraq, tsunami relief, hurricane relief, poverty relief, drug relief, pregnancy, teen pregnancy relief. It's, those causes are going to go away. There's going to be a new set of causes in another five years and a new set in another five. And if we live 500 years, there'll be 500 causes we could have gave our life to. Make us people of one cause, the gospel. That's it. So others might live when we go out into the world as a church, as individuals, and share the truth of our Lord Jesus to the very end of our ability. Well, Lord, make us exasperated, tired for you. And Lord, make us hungry for some goals and for some for some glory not for ourselves but for you make us hungry for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus <coughs> you'll have to make us hungry because we are lazy dead uncommitted people Father I pray for the lost man's, man or woman in this room I pray that you would cause them to see the greatness of your gospel message and that they might believe and be saved. We love you, Lord Jesus. Help us in this great cause. We trust that you will. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.